I was so young and new to everything. And I just remember asking, well, am I going to die? And he said, oh, no, no, you're not. And I said, okay, that's all I need to know. You know, I could still hang out with my friends. I could still be a normal person. And, you know, I wasn't showing any visible signs of MS or anything that was wrong. And so I said, oh, you know, this is a piece of cake. So two weeks later, I was back to normal. And my mother said, what's wrong with you? You haven't cried. You're not angry. You're not talking about it. You don't recognize the severity of what's happening in your life. She said, we're getting a second opinion. Everyone has a story to tell, and we invite you to join us for the Multiple Sclerosis Diagnosis Journey podcast and listen to these unique stories. Greetings and welcome to the MS Diagnosis Journey podcast. I'm your host, Laura Koloskowski, and with me today, I have a special guest, Don Morgan. Hi, Don. Hi, Laura. I'm so honored that you decided you would share your diagnosis journey story with um, our listeners. Can you begin maybe by telling us a little bit about your symptoms and what made you think that perhaps you should seek health care and find answers? Yes, and thank you for having me. I'm quite honored to be here on the MS Diagnosis uh, Journey podcast. So I would say that my symptoms began well before I was diagnosed. Like many of us with MS, I think that we notice things and we just ignore it and push it to the side. I strongly believe, and there is no proof or facts right now, but I strongly believe I showed symptoms when I was in high school and in college, but things just kind of dissipated. And when I decided to embark on my graduate career, graduate school uh, path, I I picked up and left after undergrad, moved to Washington, D.C., and started working and then started my graduate program. And when I was working, I I remember walking from the metro because I live in Washington, D.C., and so in D.C., you don't necessarily need a car. So I'm walking from the metro to the office, and I noticed that the right side of my leg wouldn't catch up with the left or the rest of my body. And I thought, oh, this is strange. And I said, oh, maybe I I slept wrong or sat wrong on the metro and, you know, I'll be okay. So I go into the office and I get into my chair, but I couldn't, it was just so bizarre. I couldn't really locate the chair. It, I remember my equilibrium and my balance being off. And so I'm holding on to the back of it. And then I all of a sudden have vertigo. And I said, okay, this is really weird, but maybe I'm just tired. So again, I brushed it off. So I sit down and the feeling in my right leg just would not go away. The the numbness and the tingling, I should say. I started to feel numbness and tingling in addition to, you know, trying to get it to catch up as I was taking each step to catch up with the left side. The vertigo eventually went away. I got a cup of tea and I said, oh, okay, you know, I'm fine. Then going home later that evening, I remember feeling really, really tired. And it's a type of exhaustion that you, it's it's difficult to describe. I always say there's regular tired and there's MS tired. I was, what I didn't know at the time, I was MS tired. I felt this overwhelming fatigue come over me. And I just kind of, I got in the shower 
and got in the bed. And I said, okay, I'll be fine. I get up the next morning, start making breakfast, and I made a cup of tea. And again, I started feeling the tingling. And then my hand started to feel numb. And I said, okay, I don't know what's happening. It's really scary, but I'm going to keep going. And at the time, I was a young 24-year-old, not really thinking, or 25-year-old, not really thinking that there was going to be something really, really wrong or, or traumatic happening to me because, you know, I'm in the heart of my 20s and thinking that, you know, I'm having fun with my friends and just embarking on a new career and in graduate school and, you know, a couple of happy hours here and there. I'm just tired. I'm just stressed. Well, that wasn't the case. I went the whole day. My hands went completely numb. My right leg went completely numb. I was able to walk, but I was just dragging it. So I knew something was wrong. I go home later that night, get in the shower, couldn't feel my skin. I was rubbing my abdomen area, you know, washing, and I, I couldn't feel it. And then it was hard to take a deep breath. So I said, am I dying? I, I don't know. So what I didn't know at the time was I had the MS hug. So three days of this, I pretty much told myself, no, nope, you need to go to the doctor. I was pretty much a healthy child and no one in my family had ever experienced major illness or, or anything besides just a regular flu or cold or something like that. So going to the doctor, it wasn't scary, but it wasn't something that you know we frequently did. So if I get the timeline right, you spent a day or two noticing these symptoms and discounting them because, oh, there's all sorts of reasons this could be happening, sitting on the, the subway, you know, walking wrong, sitting wrong, sleeping wrong. And then another day or two convincing yourself that you really did have a problem and you should seek help. Yes, that is correct. But, yeah, I, I'm smiling as I'm hearing this because that is so similar to so many of us who just push through and think, oh, this will go away. So yours didn't. And at this point in, in your journey, you did what next? I went to my general practitioner. I told her what I was experiencing and she said, okay, let's just do a full workup. She did that. And she said, oh, sweetheart, you are young. You're, you're in good shape and you know, there's nothing wrong. She said, I think I was a, a vegetarian at, at the time. And she said, I think you're vitamin B12 deficient. Your, your numbers, your, la your lab work looks good, but your B12 deficient. So let's beef that up. And, you know, uh, if you look, if you look up B12 deficiency, you'll see that a lot of those symptoms come from, from that type of deficiency. And I said, okay, no problem. Well, it was getting closer to, no, I was 24. I have to back up because I said I was 25, but I was getting closer to the uh, holiday season. So my parents at the time lived in California. They lived in San Diego. So I said, you know, I told the doctor, so I'll look up the B12 information when I'm in California. You know, they have all the, the holistic natural things out there. So I'll just kind of, you know, get some when I'm over there. Looked it up and I, I, flew to California and I remember going and I think the entire vacation I slept and my mother came in the room and she said, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm okay. And the exhaustion was back. The numbness and tingling never dissipated. Uh, she, she said, I think you need to go to the doctor when you get back home. 
you've been sleeping for almost 24 hours, which I didn't even realize. I was that exhausted. And I remember my brother coming in the room saying, what's wrong with her? So at that point, people were concerned and I, I should have been more concerned and I got concerned, concerned, excuse me. So I flew back to DC, went to the doctor again, my regular practitioner. And she said, okay, this is not subsiding. So we're going to run an MRI. I'm going to send you to a radiologist. And I said, okay, never done that before, but I can do this. And the next day I had the MRI. Let me just also add in here, I had really good insurance. So everything was just like so fast for me, which is not the case for a lot of patients. And I am really grateful for that. So I go into the radiology appointment to get the MRI. And later that day, she called and she said, I need you to come into the office. And I said, oh my goodness. No, it, there's. <laughs> it's never good when they call you and say, we need to see you immediately. Yes. Yeah. So I, I said, well, there's a lot of traffic. Can you just tell me over the phone? I can handle it. And she said, well, I just don't want you to be alone. And I said, oh my God, am I going to die? She said, no, but I do need you to understand what's happening. And I said, okay, you can tell me I'll, I'll be fine. She said, well, well, you have what the radiologist says is, is multiple sclerosis. And it was so bizarre because at the same time I had the television on and at the time Janet Reno had shown up on the TV and they were doing some story, some news story about Janet Reno. And I said, you mean I'm going to look like Janet Reno? I had no idea what it, <laughs> what an autoimmune illness was or, or neurological illness. <laughs> so she had Parkinson's by the way, but you know, completely opposite. <laughs> um, and for people who are younger, look up Janet Reno. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I, she, she then told me, I want you to come into the office first thing tomorrow morning. So I said, okay. So I went into the office. She said, this is the name of a neurologist that I would like you to see. He was not an MS specialist, which years later I found out there's a difference <laughs> and didn't realize that. So I called my mother and told her what was happening. And she said, I will be there tomorrow. So she and my dad jumped on a plane, came to DC, went to the neurology appointment with me. And at the time, the neurologist, wonderful gentleman, but quite conservative and very reluctant in treating what he had seen on the MRI. And he said, well, I don't want to do anything. I, I just need to do further diagnostic testing. So of course, they do a lumbar puncture or spinal tap. Then I go in to get the evoked potential tests, which are these like electro, I don't know how to describe it, but they put these sticky things on you and it pretty much shocks your nerves or something or shocks you. I, I don't know how to describe it to sound like a normal person, but it shocks the nerve or something to see where the damage is in the body. And anyway, long story short, the neurologist was able to read it to see where the damage had, had occurred. So after all of the diagnostic testing, we went back in for another appointment, probably a week later. And he said, okay, well, you're on a spectrum. I'm not going to officially diagnose you, but you're on a spectrum. You could have one case or one exacerbation and never have another one again, or you could progress. 
but we'll just wait and see. And so my mother said, well, oh. yeah. <laughs> those, those are the words that really make me shudder and gasp out loud, which I just did because people being told to wait and see you're on the spectrum is just, we know is really bad way to, to approach multiple sclerosis care. Yes, because it's such a progressive illness. And the longer you wait, the more damage, you know, that can occur. And, and it's just, it's scary. Exactly. Yep. It, I just wasn't feeling better. And so he said, well, we're going to give you, you know, three-day Salumedrol. And I said, okay. So he said, don't expect it to work overnight. It's going to take a while for, you know, things to get back to normal. And they did two weeks later and my mom went back to California. And so we kind of came up with a a strategy on how to get a second opinion, because at the time my mother, she was asking a million questions and she, my, both my parents are in the healthcare field. So she kind of knew what to ask. I didn't. And I was so young and I I didn't, I was new to everything. And I just remember asking, well, am I going to die? That's, that's what I said. And, and he said, oh, no, no, you're not. And I said, okay, that's all I need to know. You know, I could still hang out with my friends. I could still be a normal person. And, you know, I wasn't showing any signs of, of, of uh, visible signs of, of MS or anything that was wrong. And so I said, oh, you know, this is a piece of cake. I, that's the attitude that I took. And I think I immediately went into some sort of denial. And I thought, well, here's the remedy. He's given me solumedrol. I'm going to be okay. So two weeks later, I was back to normal. Didn't really even give it that much thought. And my mother said, what's wrong with you? You haven't cried. You're not angry. You're not talking about it. You don't recognize the severity of what's happening in your life. And I, I, I said, okay. And so she said, we're getting a second opinion. So my parents knew a, a doctor who was... Um, friends and um, worked with my current neurologist and she's been my neurologist since. And um, I went in to see her. My dad flew out and he, we took all my results and he said, okay, doc, well, what is it? And she said, well, it's MS and this is what we're going to do about it. And she was so direct and matter of fact. And she said, I want to keep you exactly where you are and I want to grow old with you. It brings me to tears to think about it. She has been a wonderful part of my journey and I owe a lot to her. <laughs> yeah, that is so important. I think the key point that you just made there about getting a second opinion, a lot of people overlook that option, especially if they don't have good insurance to cover that cost. But that ability to be able to go out and advocate for yourself and say, hey, I'm not content with what I'm hearing. I'm not going to just take this and walk away. I want to get this confirmed or find out something different uh, is really significant. Absolutely. And you know, if, if I must add one piece of advice for people who are newly diagnosed with MS, don't just rely on others. I understand getting incredible support and having family, but sometimes people don't have that. I was just really, really lucky to have such, you know, a great support system and parents who were questioning everything and, you know, kind of guiding me into my being my own patient advocate, you know, like, 
or self-advocate and, you know, asking questions for myself and not relying on others and not just relying on the doctors. And so I was able to research, which is what I did. And I started asking questions and that would be the advice that I would give to someone. Just don't just take someone's word for it because they have, you know, really prestigious letters behind their name. Ask questions. You have a right because it's your body. There's so much in here that you've included in this interview. Would you like to wrap up how this diagnosis closed out for you? I was on several medications after my initial diagnosis. And I had taken, oh gosh, I'm not sure if we're allowed to say which ones, but I had taken several, I think three or four, four medications. And so finally on the fourth one, or was it the third? I can't remember. She said, okay, this isn't working for you. We're going to put you on this one. And I was terrified. And I said, okay, I'm, nothing's working. I, I trust you. I believe you. And let's just go forward. And at that point, I had progressed to using a cane and a walker and a wheelchair and a scooter, not full time, but a majority of the time always had a cane. I had contemplated giving up my my car because I couldn't, I didn't think I would be able to drive. And I took the prescribed, the DMT that she prescribed. And about six to nine months later, I woke up, I walked down the stairs, which I was unable to do. I was making breakfast for my son, which I was able to stand up and do. And I realized, hey, you're not using your cane. You're not using your walker. Um, Not really sure what happened, but something worked. I don't know if it was divine or me being who I am and, you know, my meditation practices and, you know, the medication is probably a combination of everything. And um, I have a pretty pretty good quality of life now. I I follow my doctor's orders and I eat healthy. Well, what's healthy for me and what feels good for my body. I I stay stress-free as much as I can. (laughs) It's hard in this kind of, this kind of world. (laughs) Yeah. um, yeah. I was going to say that's a whole nother conversation of how to remain stress-free, but, and I do have to ask this question, Dawn, because people may not realize, recognize that you were also a black woman. Yes. Who perhaps is viewed differently with this disease. Do you have any sense that perhaps initially your experiences were not taken seriously because you were young or because of your color? Because I do hear that problem. Yes. That's such a great question. And people ask that a lot. Again, because I had a support system that was quite knowledgeable of the medical field, I wasn't given the, oh gosh, the pat you on the shoulder, like now, now girl, you'll be fine. Just listen to me. I, we were, we were heard. I was heard. At least my parents were, (laughs) my voice wasn't necessarily heard, but honestly, to tell you when I went in by myself, I, I really wasn't heard. I felt like they brushed me over and then I called in my, my arsenal, which was my, my, my parents. Uh, and then they took me serious because they said, oh, okay, she knows, they know what we're talking about. And so I, I don't know, Laura, if it was more so my color or me being a young black woman, or is it just me being youthful and not knowing? It's hard to say in that situation. Right. 
I ask because I know statistically the approach to treatment may be very different. So it sounds like you had stellar care from this MS specialist you were fortunate to connect with. So I'm glad that was the case for you. And I'm always looking for success stories, too, that our systems work. But you have a key point there of bringing someone along with you that will help you advocate while you are personally trying to digest this news that you have a chronic disease, which majority of people know nothing about MS when they first are introduced to that idea that you're going to live with this the rest of your life. Yes. And, and like I was saying, I, I I just try to be positive and think, you know, because it was such a traumatic event for me, I I don't want to think, oh my gosh, they weren't listening to me because I'm black. I mean, there's so many other things that happen because I'm black. I'm like, I don't want to even add MS in there too. <laughs> right. So, well, I really appreciate you taking the time to share this story with me and being open and honest and that you're now at the point where you're still living with MS and you have a son who you're raising successfully and having a good life um, despite having a chronic disease like this. Do you have any final words you'd like to share with our listeners before I sign off? Uh, I, I guess the final words would be you're not alone and you you can get through this there will be days where all you want to do is stay in the bed or cry or throw pillows and you know maybe even break plates as if you're at a greek wedding or something but uh it, you can do it you know it it's it, it is okay life is far more beautiful than than it is ugly i i would say That's how I try to look at life, because if I looked at the negative, I I would never get out of bed.